So Australia is a relatively new market, but it's got so many people here who are doing really cool things and actually ahead of the game in a lot of areas. And there are also a lot of people here who have money that they want to invest. So the startup scene is just hugely growing and that's really exciting. Hello and welcome to a new episode of Behind the Gram podcast. We're your hosts, I'm Paige. And I'm Niharika. Today's episode is one that we are very excited about because we have Legal Vision to speak to us about startup law. Legal Vision is a client-centric law firm that have a new law approach to servicing clients that really works. They also recently received 2021 Law Firm of the Year Award for Australasia. With a designated startup service, they cover all things from capital raising to structuring employee share schemes. They really are there to make sure that any startup is started right and have a tailored legal support base on the type of business. They also have a downloadable startup manual published by the firm if anyone is interested in setting up their own startup business. So to hear more about this area, let's get started and let our guests introduce themselves. Yeah, sure. So my name is Sarah Augersley. I'm a practice leader in the corporate team at Legal Vision. What that means is it's a bit different structure to a normal law firm because we don't have partners, but we have practice leaders instead. So that's my role. And yeah, we've got the corporate team at Legal Vision, which has 10 lawyers in now. And I'll leave Sophie to introduce herself. Yes. Hi, everyone. I'm Sophie Now I'm one of the lawyers at Legal Vision and I work with Sarah in the corporate team as well. We are so excited to speak to you both and find out a little bit more about the work that you do, but we will get started with our fun get to know you questions like we do all the time. The first one is, if you could only have one coffee order for the rest of your life, what would it be? Okay, I have one for summer and one for winter. My winter order is an oat flat white, but I reckon if I could do one, I would do an iced latte. That reminds me of summer, which is really nice. Yeah, that's Paige's favourite drink as well. See, I always order a soy latte and I kind of hate myself for it because I'm not lactose intolerant, so I don't know why I need soy milk, but I had it a few times and it's just delicious. Now I can't go back to normal milk. So. <laughs> no, I back that decision. Like, back yourself. That's great. <laughs> Lovely. Now, I'd love to know what's a song that you wish more people knew about. So it might be something that you listen to on the regular or something that you listen to when you need to be in a specific mood. This one I found really hard because, I don't know, I have quite a different music taste depending on what mood I'm in, but I feel like most songs I listen to, everyone would know. But I feel like you never go wrong with bringing back a bit of the 80s, you know? Yeah, of course. Love the 80s. Oh. I, was, I was telling someone that my mum gets so angry at me because I know the words to her 80s music better than she does. <laughs> That's impressive. Um, I thought a lot about this and I actually don't have an answer because I'm such basic music taste. And so I only know of songs if they're popular. I, I don't <laughs> listen to anything else. I'm that person that comes to a song like, you know, three months late, for example. Like I remember when Lemonade came out with Beyonce and everyone was going on about it. And then six months later, I was the person that went, oh my God, this is really good, guys. This is amazing. I'm, I'm terrible. So <laughs> no, that's so fine. That's so great. Now, this one's quickly grown to be one of our favourite questions and it is a little bit of a tricky one so heads up with that. What word or saying from the past do you think should make a comeback? I reckon just any quote from Mean Girls because when Mean Girls first came out 
everyone was posting all the time. It was great. And now obviously it's not cool to do that, but I still love, there's so much content from that film that I feel this needs to be in everyday language. So yeah, any mean girl quote. Oh my gosh, I haven't heard that one before, but that might be my favorite one. Okay, so the one that I would bring back, which I think is quite funny. And then I remember my friends from like the early 2000s saying this a lot at the time, which was talk to the hand <laughs> as like a comeback. <laughs> Don't you oh think that's gosh. so great and that we should, we should bring that back? I think. I totally, <laughs> totally forgot that. Do you remember when people used to do like loser, loser, whatever? Oh, yeah, that God. was a real thing. That was no wonder all the Gen Zs think that we're so uncool. I'm a Gen Z. I mean, I did literally just do loser, loser, whatever. You shouldn't even know about that. How do you even know about that? I was born in 1998, so I feel like I'm yeah, a little yeah. bit in both. Anyway, on a little bit more of a serious note, but can you tell us a moment that you are most proud of? And that can be career-wise or personal or something even silly, whatever it might be. So I'm gonna go personal for this one. And I think for me it was moving into state when I was 18 and finished high school. All of my friends just stayed in Sydney where we were from, but I decided that I was going to go out and, you know, learn responsibilities and learn how to be an adult. So I purposefully applied for universities outside of New South Wales and then went to ANU and then lived in Canberra for five years. And I feel like that really set the foundation for my adult life. And I learned lots of great skills and made heaps of great friends. And I really look back on that decision with a lot of fondness and am really grateful that I did that. Yeah, that's so lovely, especially to do it straight out of high school, I think is quite different. I think a lot of people wait Mm. after their undergrad or wherever it might be to move maybe for work. And it's so great to hear that you learned a lot and you loved it. My other thing is everyone that goes to Canberra seems to love Canberra. I can't understand it, but... Yeah, I think it's quite unique because there's such a strong university town feel to it because heaps of people move there for uni. And so if you go there when you're young, there's just so much stuff going on and everyone's out to have a good time and things like that. It's really fun. Oh, that sounds so great. So mine's actually quite similar to Sophie's, but I guess a bit different. I was going to say my proudest moment is when I emigrated to Australia because that was obviously a very yeah. big move and I remember like for the airport on my own and being like okay cool I've done it what do I do now I had some friends here so it wasn't like I didn't know anyone so it was fine but it's very similar to Sophie's one but yeah that's probably my proudest that's a huge that's move. huge <laughs> yeah especially now because of COVID it's kind of changed I never moved here thinking I would never be able to go home it's a very different prospect now being here and not being able to just visit my family if I want to. So I think kind of coming to terms with that as being a big thing for me last year, I think. But I'm really still really pleased with the decision that I made. No regrets. Love it here. So. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's so good to hear. But you're right. I think that uncertainty that's happening right now is really, really difficult. My my dad works overseas and I have no idea when I'll see him next, which is just crazy. Mm. Like we normally see my dad every six months, but now we have no idea when we'll see him next. And that uncertainty of knowing when you're going to see your family, it just throws things for a bit of a loop. But I'm glad that you're still enjoying that you've moved. Well, I've loved getting to know a little bit more about you both, but we are so excited that we get to have Legal Vision back on our podcast. And frankly, we love the firm. We think that you guys have a great mission and you do fabulous work. So we personally could give you a number of answers to this <laughs> the next question, but we'd love to find out from you both, how would you describe Legal Vision in three words and, and what would they be? The first word that we'd use would be progressive. 
We are different to a normal law firm. I guess you could call us a new law firm, although I guess that has a number of connotations and different people use it in a different way. But, you know, we are trying to do things a bit differently. As I said before, like we don't have the normal hierarchy that you get in a traditional law firm. We have clients that we interact with on a different basis to normal. So we have a membership program rather than just being kind of hourly rates all the time. So I think we're really trying to change up the way that people can instruct lawyers and get legal services. So that's why I would choose progressive. The second one would be we're striving. So we're always striving to change if change is necessary and a good thing. So yeah, working at Legal Vision, you kind of get used to things changing quite a lot. Things like you know, the membership products that we have, because we've got a whole different team that kind of just deals with our products and growth and sales and things like that. So they're constantly coming up with new ideas and better ways to do things. So you do have to kind of be on your toes and ready to adapt quite quickly. So yeah, that would be the second one. And the third one, I would say normal and decent. Like everyone is just a very normal person, which you should expect that from everywhere you work, but sadly it's not necessarily always the case. Um, but yeah, everyone is just so nice, friendly, down to earth. I hope that, you know, has come across in when you've had us on the podcast before. Yeah, we're just all very normal people. Yeah, I feel like we talk about this within the firm as well. We kind of just think, can't think of a single person that's a bit of a dickhead. Like actually just can't think of a single person, which I think is quite rare, actually. You get to a certain size and you sort of expect that some people aren't very nice, but everyone's just, yeah, everyone's great. Yeah, no, that's so, so great. I mean, I completely agree with all the words that you've thrown out there. They are so true to what Legal Vision does. And I would say you're all normal and decent. <laughs> <laughs> you're, all, you're all more than normal and decent. You are some of the most fun people that we've spoken to on the podcast. On another note, we'd love to know what's the myth. And I feel like Legal Vision does this in almost everything they do. But what's a myth about working in the law that Legal Vision dispels? Yeah, so I think this goes to what Sarah was saying earlier, that because we don't necessarily feel like we need to stick to a hierarchical structure, there's often a myth that, you know, in law firms that it is really structured, that you can really only be sort of recognised and achieved up to your PQE level. And I think that's something that often a lot of junior lawyers or law students think the law is, is that it's quite rigid. Whereas at LV, you know, we really encourage everybody to excel in the areas that they want and to kind of build out the skills that they really care about. So, for example, often at traditional law firms, there's an expectation that, you know, it's the partners, the people who are more superior, who are the ones that are bringing in all the work and having client relationships. Whereas here, we really encourage everybody to bring in their own work and build their own relationships. And that's something that everyone can take advantage of. Yes. I remember when we spoke to Legal Vision last time, the thing that stood out to me so much is that you do get such broad and very Mm. fine experience and interaction right at the start of when you start working as a legal professional at LV, which is super, super cool because I don't think that that's necessarily done in all the law firms, which is very, very cool. Moving on to my next question, and I'm sure that there is a very, very long list for this one, but what do you think is maybe an accolade that Legal Vision is most proud of or even just one that you resonate with strongly and why? Yeah, so today we've worked with over 160,000 businesses, which is Quite a lot considering we're a pretty new law firm and there's only about 100 lawyers in the firm at the moment. So yeah, I think just kind of the the number of people that we've managed to help with their businesses um, is pretty cool. Yeah. And that obviously that reflects the amount of people that have put their trust in you and have enjoyed working with your company and with your firm. So it's definitely something to be proud of. Thank you for sharing that little bit. 
Cool. Well, I'll move on to the next one. So basically the reason why we're all here is to find out more about some of the things that that Legal Vision does. And I know one of the areas that you work in is startup law. And I think Mm. it is such a fascinating area. But could you tell us and give us an overview of what startup law is even like and what it entails? Yeah, absolutely. So to begin with, a lot of the things that we do for our startup clients is we advise on business structures and corporate governance um, and those kinds of things. So we help clients as they're first starting out to get all of their legals in place so that they can start and run their business. So we advise a lot in that space. And then we also help with their corporate transactional work as well. So for example, we do a lot of you know share sales, business sales, acquisitions. We do a lot in the capital raising space as well across a range of different types of transactions, whether it be equity or debt or you know crowdsource funding and all those kinds of things. So yeah, in that space as well, we advise a lot of startups, both from the very, very early stages when they're literally just starting out and it's just a few people and a name that they want to more mature startups that you know might have raised quite substantial amounts of capital and are growing really fast. And we also work on the other side as well. So so we do quite a lot of work with investors and venture capital funds as well who are investing in startups. Yeah, but that is very, very exciting work. I think one of the things that interests me about startup law is it sounds like it's a little bit of everything, right? So you get to do some tax, you get to do some corporate governance, you get to do IP. I'm sure there's there's so many different areas of law that come under startup law. And I think it's mm. such a great, I guess, generalist practice because you get to do a little bit of everything. But what drew both of you to this area? How did you kind of think that this is what you wanted to do? Or why did you find it interesting? Well, I trained in London. So we got to do four different seats. So for me, corporate was my first seat that I did. And the thing that really drew me to it was just how commercial it is. And you kind of weren't doing anything just for process's sake. Everything you did had a reason and had an objective and was to kind of achieve something for your client. It wasn't just, I have to fill out this form because the court tells me to. So for me, I really enjoyed this kind of the more flexibility and freedom around it. And also you're just kind of, working for people who actually are instructing lawyers a good time in their lives and in their careers so everyone's generally quite excited about what they're doing and you have happy clients which is great yeah so for me I think in the beginning something that really drew me to corporate work and startup work was purely just the intellectual challenge as well because we're often dealing with you know, intangible concepts like shares and securities and that kind of thing. It's quite technical in nature. And even lots of other lawyers that we work with find that kind of stuff really daunting. And so I liked the the challenge of getting really familiar with that kind of stuff and conquering that kind of area of law. And then I also really second what Sarah was saying about working with happy clients, because I think ultimately, you know, as your podcast name suggests, like ultimately there's just a daily grind in doing your job. And so you just need to find contentment in your day-to-day work. And I think for me, the biggest thing that I find fulfilling is working with clients that are you know, happy to be using you. They're really excited. They're about to do something that's really exciting, not just the clients, but even you know the other parties that we're working with, the investors and their lawyers, everybody's coming together because they're working towards a shared outcome, which is really positive. And so that's really fulfilling to feel like you're you know helping them drive forward their goals. So yeah, No, for sure. And I think people that have their own startups or are building their own startups are some of the most engaged, creative, totally interesting people, right? They're coming up with new ideas 
for our world, which is so exciting. And you get to be a part of that, which is really, really quite cool. Yeah, I was just going to say to that point, something that I'm always just so impressed by is how young a lot of the founders that we work with are. I think that's just so impressive to me because we're always just surrounded by really passionate, exciting young people that are doing these huge things that I I, I can't imagine taking on at that age. Yeah, it's super impressive. Yeah, no, and I, I liked what you said, Sarah, about, you know, it being you get to work with happy clients, which as lawyers, you go to work five days a week, sometimes maybe even more or longer hours than some other days. And at the crux of it, you do need to be, like you said, surrounded by normal, nice people, but also surrounded by exciting clients that keep you engaged in the work that you do. So it's great that you both have gotten to experience that in this area. I'd love to know maybe what's one thing that you wish people knew about startup law as a practice area? It's another one of those myth-busting questions. But yeah, what's something that maybe students don't know about startup law or should know about startup law? For me, I guess it's kind of also just more generally the corporate team. I think people often think maybe it's just other lawyers and other teams mainly that think that all corporate lawyers do is just kind of shuffle paperwork and do DD and just have to get through mountains and mountains of documents. And there wasn't actually that much law involved. I mean, there is DD involved. So when that happens, yeah, there are quite a lot of documents. But otherwise... There's a lot of law involved. It can be really complicated. There's lots of interesting things you can get involved with. And there's quite a bit of maths to it as well, which I think people don't necessarily know about. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think my thought on this as well is sort of the other end of it is apart from all of the technical work, I think people don't realise the amount of people skills and just organisation and project management goes into it, especially for startups where, you know, they might be doing a type of transaction for the first time. And so they're really unfamiliar and they really need you to guide them through that process. It's really on us to kind of manage the project and drive things forward and kind of manage all of their multiple stakeholders and everyone's interests and all these documents involved. And yeah, so it takes a lot of organisation and really good communications skills as well. Yeah. So that's also great exposure to to all those lessons to learn from. I think we have spoken about clients just a little bit, which is great, but we'd love to find out a little bit more about what are some of the key clients that you work with in this area. I feel like the answer might be yes, but are they always new clients or are they clients that kind of keep coming back for more work? And on average, how long does it matter in startup law kind of last? Yeah, so we have a mix of returning clients and new clients. Returning clients mainly are when we're acting for investors because obviously they're doing a lot of deals each year. So if we act for an investor on each of their deals and we're acting for them, you know, a handful of times during the course of the year. But the way, especially our client base works, is we are getting a lot of new clients all the time. So there, there's a constant stream of work for new clients as well. And in terms of how long a matter takes, it can really vary depending on what we're doing. So we do everything down from doing kind of an employee share option plan, which could take a few days to finalize with a client, all the way up to kind of MA transactions and cap raising, where you know an MA transaction can go on for six months longer sometimes depending on how complex it is and how much needs to be done before they can complete and cap raisings generally are a few months each time so yeah it really really varies no that's very cool and as a little side note i love that you say cap raising and i'm going to say that to sound very professional and cool now (laughs) (laughs) thank you for sharing that little bit of insight i'd also love to find out a bit more about who you interact with in legal vision but Mm. also outside of it so 
What are some of maybe the other practice areas that you might work with in this area? Or is there a lot of government interaction, other law firms, financial institutions? Who are some of the other key players that you work with? Yeah. And so I think this question as well goes to your point earlier about this area of law being quite generalist. And I think that you see that in the types of people that we interact with. So we are often dealing with other lawyers and other firms um, on transactions, you know, where we're acting for one party and they're acting for other parties. We deal a lot with investors and shareholders for companies who can be, you know, a huge variety of people from really large organizations and banks and super funds to, you know, just um, a family that's throwing in some money. We also do deal a lot with government institutions and regulators as well. Like everybody that works in the space, ASIC is the bane of our existence. <laughs> so. Yeah, and something that's really great about what we do as well that Sarah mentioned earlier is because we, are, you know, often are doing due diligence for matters. It means that we cut across a lot of other practice areas because we're, you know, having to review things across lots of different areas. So whether that be, you know, employment contracts or general commercial contracts or regulatory things. And something that's quite exciting for the work that we do as well is because we are very active in the startup space. It means that we can get involved with other types of organisations as well beyond legal ones. So we get involved with accelerators and other organizations that are, you know, supporting and educating startups in this space. Yeah. That's so cool. Yeah. No, love finding out that kind of information. And it's great to kind of see that it's not a siloed area of work that you do get to interact with lots of people. Because I think that's Mm. quite important for law students and young lawyers to know that, you know, they are going to have those interactions with other areas. And it's not just like you've picked startup law, that's all you're going to do for the rest Mm. of your life. And you get that interaction with everyone else. So that's quite cool. Um, You touched on this a little bit with the exciting people that you get to work with, but what are maybe some of the exciting developments that are coming up in this area, kind of things that students can turn their mind to that might become like more concrete when they are in the area practicing startup law as well? Yeah, I think in general, it's just that this space is massively growing. So Australia is a relatively new market, but it's got so many people here who are doing really cool things and actually ahead of the game in a lot of areas. And there are also a lot of people here who have money that they want to invest. So the startup scene is just hugely growing and that's really exciting. And, you know, as it grows, there's going to be more and more ideas coming through. And we're very lucky because we get to see everyone's ideas because we get to work with the entrepreneurs. So that's a really, really cool part of it. But yeah, just in general, just how this space is growing and how different kind of legal instruments are keeping up with that. So for example, in the UK, where I was working before, like nine was out of 10, if a company wants to raise capital, they're just issuing shares. Whereas here, because companies might be a bit more early stage and there's maybe a bit more risk around investing in some of them, there's different instruments here. So it's something called a safe and a convertible note, which are used much more here than I've seen in England, at least. Just like different things like that, that can come about because the market's quite new. So it's just a really exciting area to be in. Yeah, no, that sounds like really engaging, exciting work. What are some ways that students can kind of build their knowledge in this area? Like I mentioned earlier, is it's, it's not necessarily a space that we have a subject for at law school mm. or because it does pull in so much work from different areas of law or in different, I guess, subjects that we would actually Mm. learn like IP and contracts and that sort of thing. What are some ways that students can build knowledge in this area other than reading the AFR because we hear that one a lot? (laughs) Yeah, so to Sarah's point earlier about having to be very commercial, I think that beyond just, you know, normal law study, I think the best things is to 
build your general knowledge outside of that space. So, getting an understanding of what it might be like to actually run a business and the types of considerations involved in that, I think are really valuable. So, for example, I think a lot of universities now, because this area is growing, I think they've got programs and sort of hackathons and those kinds of things that you can do. And that can be super useful. And also just keep up to date with what the larger players in this space are doing. So, for example, the really big venture capital firms that are really active in this space, like Blackbird and Airtree, they all have newsletters that you can subscribe to. And I think they've got all of their podcasts and all those kinds of things as well. So, there's lots of content that you can consume if you're interested in this space. Yeah, no, that's so cool. Actually, what were those places called again? Blackbird and... Blackbird Ventures and Airtree Ventures as well. Yeah. So, they're two of the largest venture capital firms in Australia and they do heaps of deals. So, yeah, they've got newsletters where they're always updating and things that they're doing and notable things that they've noticed that's happening in the space. And so, that can be a really good way of getting lots of information about what's going on. Yeah, also just a good way of seeing kind of what areas are hot at the moment because you mm. ran like a lot of VC companies might have invested in certain tech companies in one quarter and then there might be lots in kind of agriculture the next and you can kind of like see trends happening, which is pretty cool. Yeah, no, that's so interesting. And I think all of those options are so good because I think students are kind of sick of being told to read the AFR. But yeah. things like hackathons and keeping up with these companies, podcasts and newsletters are great resources. So thank you for sharing them. That's really helpful. Kind of to round out this episode, we both obviously wealth of knowledge and I'd love to pull out some advice from you both. Maybe we'll start off with what three skills do you think students need to know to be able to work in startup law, whether it's something they should all kind of have intrinsically or things that can be developed and learned? Yeah, so I think in this area in particular, the ability to be flexible. There's lots going on. You have to work with various different teams, as Sophie said. So you, what that means is you need to have a basic knowledge of a lot of different areas of law. So although we're in the corporate team, if I'm doing an M&A transaction, you know, I'm selling a business, there are going to be employees moving across. There is going to be property involved. There is going to be like, different contracts and things like that. So you need to have an understanding of those areas as well to be able to speak to the client. And whilst you do get other teams involved, you do still need to be able to have that confidence discussing to yourself. So just kind of being able to get to know a different area of law if you need to, or be able to converse with someone that you're not normally used to speaking to. Um, So yeah, just being kind of flexible and able to adapt to what you need to do for a particular transaction. Also, I think just general organisational skills never hurt anyone in any practice area, but particularly in corporate, because as Sophie touched on earlier, like there is a lot going on sometimes. There's a lot of different parties involved. And often as the person in the corporate team, you are kind of the point man or point woman on the deal. So there might be a lot of emails coming in and you're kind of having to farm through them and work out what needs to go to the client, what needs to go to the employment team, what needs to kind of be something for our to-do list. So just being able to keep on top of things like that is really key. And then lastly, just having good communication skills because, you know, we've, we've said this before, but, you know, you are talking to a lot of people, a lot of different people, especially in the startup law. So you're speaking to entrepreneurs who have started out for the first time. They don't know anything about the law. You know, you need to sort of be able to hold their hand and speak to them in a certain way. And then equally, the next day, you're working with a really sophisticated investor who does this time and time and time again. So you need to just be able to have the appropriate conversation with the appropriate person and just be able to like not be shy and pick up the phone and speak to clients. 
No, that's great, great tips. And and this might be something that's just a little throw off question, but and this might be something that is maybe a skill that is just learnt from practice. But how do you get over those nerves of talking to these people that especially sophisticated investors, like you said, who might know a lot more than you do as a young lawyer starting out in that area? How do you kind of get over those nerves? Do you have any tips? Make it till you make it. That's just it. <laughs> a lot of it is experience so the first time you do it obviously you're terrified the next time you do it you're a little bit less terrified and then you just get to the point where it's day-to-day and I mean often your day is so busy that you don't even have time to think about it you're like right I have to call yeah. this now just do it and then you do it and you're like oh that was actually completely fine and I think this is probably a good point to mention now as well with legal vision is a bit different how we operate with new lawyers so if you can speak to this more because she went through the process but before you become a lawyer in the legal team you often go through our growth team which is basically all you do is speak to clients. So I think by the time you actually end up in the legal team. To round out this episode, our very last question is just, do you have any advice for students that are about to apply for for clerkships or graduate offers, I think that you guys offer at Legal Vision and or even just general advice about being a law student and anything that you've learned? Yeah, so we don't have a structured kind of clerkship or internship program, but we definitely take graduates and make a lot of graduate offers each year and that team is always growing. And so, yeah, we do encourage graduates, as Sarah said, to go through our growth team, which is focused on, you know, speaking to potential new clients and existing clients. And so, you learn a lot about client communications and sales skills and those skills, I think, will, you know, benefit you for for your whole career as a lawyer or um, anything else that you do. So, it's a really good way for law students to build those skills and also get an understanding of all of our different practice areas and perhaps the type of area of law they might want to specialize in. Yeah, in terms of any other advice for law students, I think just chill out a little bit. <laughs> it's so stressful, yeah. I think, that, that time. I think often when you're applying for jobs, and I think law firms sometimes put so much pressure on law students to be able to demonstrate commercial acumen, you know, from day one. But I just think that that comes with experience. As Sarah said, you know, you just need time to get familiar with those things. And if you're able to get your foot in the door, then just make the most of the opportunities that you're given. And, and over time, you will just learn those things if you're bright hardworking. So, I wouldn't worry too much or feel too insecure about not having everything, you know, ready to go on day one because no one does. And I think just kind of being yourself, Mm. I think there's quite a tendency towards people thinking you have to tick all these boxes to apply to this particular law firm and therefore you have to be this certain type of person. But actually, it's so refreshing when you interview someone who is just a bit more chilled out and able to show their personality. So, rather than just being the person that you think they want you to be. So I think, yeah, just don't be afraid to sort of be you and don't lose yourself in the process. No, for sure. And I think that last point is so important because well, Melbourne and Sydney would both be going into clerkship applications right now. It's so important because there's only so long that you can keep up not being yourself. Mm. And eventually when you're in a workplace that you're going to five days a week, that's going to be a whole other task that you're adding on to your burden to try and be someone else. So it's just easy to be yourself from the start. And I think a lot of people value that and it's just more true to yourself. So both really great pieces of advice from you both. So thank you very, very much. But that's pretty much it for this episode. It has been so, so great to hear from you both about the exciting work that you do. I'm sure you've got lots of, I mean, you've you can count me in that list, but I'm sure you've got lots of people that are <laughs> that are keen on startup law now, having heard more about it from you both. But also, thank you just for your advice and for being so fun and candid as well. Thanks thank for having you. Us. It's been a great time. Thank you. 
thank you for listening to this episode. We will be releasing our final few episodes on this season in the coming weeks. So keep an eye out on our socials for new content. And make sure to follow Behind the Grind Pod on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. All of these links are in your show notes. That's it from us. Make sure to keep an ear out for new episodes.